That's identification. That's being identified with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that identification, see, it's no longer us. It's not the weight on our shoulders. Hello, and welcome to this edition of That They Might Know, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Dr. William Azella, and our teacher is my friend and brother in the Lord, Joe Durso. In this episode, Joe examines Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 11, as Paul proclaims the importance of identification with Christ as the source of the believer's holiness. Listen carefully to understand how faith becomes energized so that you realize the full potential of your connection to Christ. As always, if you're seeking discipleship or biblical counseling, please email us. Now, for today's message, we believe in Him. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, your beloved Son, the one whom you proved your love to your creatures by giving. Lord, these are not small matters that we talk about today. They're not something like talking about the weather or or sports or some entertainment, something that's passing away. These are eternal principles, eternal matters that mean everything. Nothing can mean more than anything that will last eternally. We, We say, Lord, forever. We use it so flippantly and we don't even know what we're talking about we have no power to live to the next moment and we speak of forever as if we we have authority over it we have no authority and lord i pray that as we consider these things we would understand it in light of who we are that we have been made we are not eternal I pray, dear Heavenly Father, that you would take these truths and apply them to our hearts so that we might live them. They're not just a teaching to be learned in our head and our mind and not absorbed into our heart or our whole being, our soul, our mind, our spirit, our strength, our will, our intellect, our emotions. Lord, I pray that we might absorb these truths in the whole man and that you would put them into effect and allow us to live them out maybe to a greater extent that we think could ever be possible. I ask that you would do these things not for us only but for your honor and your glory and your pleasure in Jesus name. Amen. We continue this week as we have looked in the past episode from Matthew, from Romans, I apologize, for Romans chapter 5, and going into chapter 6, and I'll read now from chapter 6, verse 6, through verse 11. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. 
Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so we consider primarily this verse, though not only, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know, the Bible always leads up to, Paul always leads up to the apostles, to a a, a pinnacle, a point that he wants us to arrive at, and he does it through you know, a reasoning process. God is a reasoning God. And he makes reasoning people in his own image. Because he says, as in Isaiah, come, let us reason together. (laughs) God is not unreasonable. People look at faith and they they think, well, faith is like, you know, just dumb faith. No no intellect attached to it. Nothing could be further from the truth. The The God who put together this universe the God who created and put the sun in, in its place, in its orbit, and, and, and the, the solar system of revolving planets to precision, you know, he, this is a reasoning God. The God who invented the science that we discover and we think what we did when we discover what he created. No, this is a reasoning God, and it's a reasoning scripture, and so we're going to reason our way through the book. So last time we concluded with chapter 5 looking at this idea that through one man's sin disobedience one man's disobedience the many were made sinners even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous and that's in verse 19 of chapter 5 and so there's this federal headship of Adam and and Christ, two races, as I've discussed in previous uh, episode. And then he goes on to say that the law came in so that the transgression would increase. But, and that's the awareness of how we sin, it increases in our understanding. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Why? So that as sin reigned in death, sin just, I mean, it just takes hold of a person and it, and it reigns over us like a king that tells us what to do. We have no power whatsoever to go against him. He's got the army. He's got, he's got the authority. He says, off with your head, it's gone. And so it's in this way that sin reigned in death. And all men die. You want to know how all men are sinners? All men die. Why do people die? Why do we live in a, a universe like you have life for just a short period and then your, your grandparents are gone and your parents are gone and you're gone and your son and your children raised and generation after generation and death after death. Why? Because all men sin and the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. And that's not the end. And that's why we're looking at this because there's an eternity. Because we're not just a body, we're a soul, we're a spirit. We have conscience. We have law, courts of law that prove it. 
We put people in prison because we know right from wrong. Even so, he goes on, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What an announcement. And then he goes on into chapter 6, and knowing this, that there's this, this reigning in, in sin or reigning through grace to, to eternal life, what, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so grace may increase? Well, okay, with grace, God is full of grace, so let's do whatever we want. He knew that's where they were going to go, and he says, may it never be. God forbid it. This is insane. No. And then he says, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? And any person who lives life even after being regenerate, being born again, having come to faith in Christ, understands that sin still is like a, a backpack and it just wants to take control, but we are a new creation in Christ. And as a new creation in Christ, things, old things are passing away and all things are becoming new. We're a new man. And the last thing we want to do is sin. Now, there's a battle with it, and he's dealing with that battle, and he enters it in chapter 6 and proceeds through 7 and 8, and we'll be looking through this. But in this portion, he's making the point that we are dead. We died to sin. And it's not for us to live in it any longer. So then last week we finished with this verse, chapter 7. This was the the cap on last week, which was, For he who has died is freed from sin. So this is an issue of slavery versus freedom. And the Christian, whether he realizes it to the fullness or not, as he's maturing in faith, is in fact free from sin. Now, I want you to get this. I want to get it. I want to continue to get it deeper and deeper and more into my heart. I would like you to get it into your heart, dear listener. In verse 8, now if we have died, now that if is an if as in it's accomplished, but the if question is there because is it a question in your mind, in my mind? It's a question in every person's mind who continues in sin. You know, are we really freed from sin? Have we died to sin? Now, if we have died with Christ, and that brings in in view the actual salvation experience. See, it's one thing to mimic the words to say what a person says, follow me in this prayer, or give your heart to Christ, or Christ has died for your sins. And to know those things, it's one thing to know them in your head. It's another thing to fully absorb them into your heart and into your life, into the practice. Only the born-again believer can do that. That's why salvation is two parts. It's what takes place going into salvation and what takes place coming out of salvation. Going into salvation, it's faith alone. It's trust It's believing that what God said is true, completely, undeniable. God is not a liar. He's not like us. He's a perfectly righteous and holy person. One God in three persons, and all three, one mind, one heart, in in everything, and in this particular, that they do not lie, they tell the truth. They are faithful. 
we believe that we shall also live with him. If we died with Christ, we shall also live with him, knowing why. Why do we believe this? How can we have the assurance and the knowledge that we're freed from sin and that we're living with Jesus Christ? Big question, huge, to the person who understands and who wants to live a holy life, wants to be obedient to God in Christ. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. See, he was, became liable. He became under, he came under the power of death for a purpose. And that purpose, that main purpose, was to please the Father, to fulfill his plan and his desire. What was that plan? To give something, a gift to his son. And that gift was a bride. A bride made in the image, the full image of God. Not like Adam, who was made in the image of God, and as race, even though now fallen in sin and corrupting that image. We're all born into that image with the potential to be completely holy, to be fully like him. Now I say with the potential because God had to work out a plan, and that plan was that men might be identified with Christ in such a way that the Father sees his people, he sees Christ's bride, he sees Christ. And the love with which he loves Christ, he loves his people. Why? Because his people are now identified fully with Christ. Now, the fullness of identification in creation is that God spoke and created man in his image. The fullness of identification in Christ is that Christ took on humanity, became a man, identified as a man, lived as a man, fulfilled all the righteousness of God that could in in word, with his mouth, in motivation of his heart, in attitude, in every feeling, every thought of his entire life, in every temptation, tempted as we are, yet without sin to perfection. That's the Son. So the Son not only is the eternal God, one with the eternal Father and the Holy Spirit for eternity, like outside of time, no time, no change, all the same, in an eternal state that we can't comprehend, but we can understand. And in that state, not in that state, but in the human state, as a man entering into time, entering into weakness, entering into a body prepared for him by the Father, as it's in Hebrews 10 and, uh, 9, and, 9 and 10. In, in those passages of the covenant where Christ, God has in Christ become a man and identified with men, now the fullness of the image is complete through identification with the Son, Jesus Christ. Because the Son is eternal life. He's the one in whom we are made in his image. But more, much more than just being made in his image, like a sculpture, like 
you know, you taking a rock and, and turning it into a picture, of, so to speak, of Jesus, now the, the rock that's been carved is filled with the presence of Christ himself. I mean, think about this. So it's no longer just I, but it's Christ. And Galatians 2.20, For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is full identification. This is not just some statue, like you might look at a, the body of man as housing the soul of man. But it's meant to house not only the soul of man, but be fully integrated with the very spirit of the living God. Now this is a person in the image of God. So, and so he says, knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, this is Christ as a substitute, is never to die again. The purpose is completed. He paid for the sins on the cross. He fully suffered for what every person for whom he died would suffer, an eternal suffering, accomplished because he's an eternal person, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. Now we have to get this before we get how we can live a holy life and we can live freed from sin. Why? Because the first focus has to be Jesus Christ. It can't be you or I. How do I do this? Give me spiritual disciplines. You know, pray. Let me witness for Christ. Let me full be obedient and go out into all the world and preach the gospel. All of these things are wonderful ways of being obedient. It's what it means to be obedient. But the source of obedience cannot be our be obedience. The source of our obedience must be Jesus Christ. Therefore, identification with Jesus Christ is absolutely, unconditionally necessary. There's, a, there's no obedience without Christ. There's no obedience to Christ without Christ. He is the source of all our obedience. Why? Because he is a person and he is eternal life. John, in chapter 1 of his letter, 1 John, 1st epistle of John says, what was from the beginning, what was from the beginning, what beginning? The beginning of all things. For God created God said, let there be light. And there was light. This was something that didn't exist before that. Only God existed. Now he's doing something new. This is the beginning of something. There is no beginning with God. He was from the beginning. He's outside of time, like I've said. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the expression of life. Here he is in human form. And the apostles, the disciples, the people of his day, the followers of Christ, they saw him, along with all other people in Israel. And the life was manifested, it was revealed. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life. Not life like we have in a body, and we exist in time, we have a birthday, and we all celebrate the day that we were born, which tells us we're celebrating our finiteness. 
We're celebrating that we're not eternal. We're celebrating that we're not God, whether we recognize it or not. The eternal life has no birthday. He's always been. And the life, as in Jesus Christ, was revealed. And we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested or revealed to us. The Father is just eternal as the Son, and the Son is eternal as the Father and the Holy Spirit as the Father and the Son. They are one God in three divine persons, and they are a loving God, and they are persons, and they related to one another in all eternity. They relate to one another now in perfection and in love, in righteousness and holiness, and they would never hurt anyone. And they are the exact opposite of what we see on planet Earth today and for the past 6,000 years. And so to the disciples, what we have seen And heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Why? Because joy is is in all people, all Christians, enjoying the same revelation, the same knowledge, the same awareness that Holiness, life, light, truth, justice, righteousness is in a person. It's in a person who wants to be known by us, and we need to know him. This is the eternal life, the only, the only wise God. This is, the, this is eternal life, that you may know him, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that you may know him. Know who? A person. Not a teaching or a doctrine. And we know him through the teaching and the doctrine, but we're looking to the person right now. We should always be looking to the person, not some knowledge in our head as if that knowledge is enough. No, the person is enough. And that is why in verse 9 of Romans chapter 6, he says, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. Paul, anyone should be able to see this. It's really, this is like, this is kindergarten stuff. This this isn't um, trigonometry. This is just basic math. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. He's focusing on Jesus. He's not focusing on us. He's not focusing on a teaching exactly. This is the teaching of Christ, but the teaching is focusing on Jesus. It's focusing on Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. Well, what's that do for me? You know, that that would be the response. Okay, so that's good for Jesus, but what about me? Well, in identification, that's everything. Because it's not our death and our life that we begin with. We begin with Jesus' death and Jesus' life. And that death is no longer is master over him. That's like saying sin 
is no longer has dominion over him. The sin which he suffered for, the penalty he paid as a substitute, identifying with us. He was righteous. He's always been righteous. He's eternally righteous. He'll always be righteous. And so he died for our sin, and when he did that, death had control over him, but not any longer. Going on in verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. The death that he died, he died to sin. Sin is rebellion against God. It's I'm going to do what I want to do, and I really don't care, God, what you have to say about it. Like 400 years after the flood in Babel, we're going to build a tower. You told us to go throughout all the earth. We're not going to go throughout all the earth. We're going to stay right here, and we're going to make this plot of land our own, and we're going to make a name for ourselves. They're not living for the glory of God. They're not appreciating or receiving God. They're not acknowledging God. It's all about me. This is sin. It works its way out in a myriad of ways, whether it's loss of myriad of kind, different kinds, jealousies and covetousness and murders and lying and deception and idolatry and idolatry and idolatry. And all of that is sin. And Christ put that sin to death. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. For all for whom he died. All who would receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and say, I can't save myself, but God can save me in Christ Jesus. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. He lives to God. So in this picture, we have this matter that Jesus is no longer able to free us from the reigning of sin. So in John chapter 15 and verse 15 it says, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Now that's a great verse. Let's, let's settle into that for a minute because we're talking about the difference between a holy life and a life where sin reigns. It, tell, it tells us what to do instead of us telling it that it does not have any authority over me because I've been placed into Jesus Christ. And so exercising faith in, a, in an active way, not, not being passive, but being active in faith and understanding that what God has said is true and I'm going to rest all my weight on what God said as true. For what purpose? To be obedient to God. To be humble. To be submissive to his will. Whatever may come. So in verse 15, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. All the word is the word of the Father, and Jesus makes known to his people what that will is. And he does it in a friendly way, because he died for us. The enmity 
the, the, the broken relationship has been mended in Christ. And we're no longer enemies, but we're friends. So when you see Israel, and Israel is a picture of the, the, the saved believer, Jew or Gentile, the, the person who has put their faith in the redeeming, saving work of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, sent by the Father, pro- prophesied throughout all the Old Testament to Israel. You have this Israel that is called out through Abraham. You're no longer Gentile. All the Gentile nations, all the nations, they're now called Gentile nations because you are of the seed of Abraham a separate people, called out to be saved, called out to be holy and obedient to God. And so now you are mine and I'm making my name, my will known to you. So he takes Moses, brings him to Sinai, the law, and all the fulfillment of the law and all that happened from then and into the coming of the Messiah and all the New Testament writings and so that you have old and new, you have two covenants, you have the fulfillment of everything in Jesus Christ. The law couldn't save us, only grace saves us. It's a perfectly written book from beginning to end, from creation to revelations and what's coming in the future and the new Jerusalem and a new people and a new heaven and a new earth, just as it's a new man. So Israel is that picture taken out of slavery from Egypt, brought through the Red Sea, which is an impossible thing, except for God who divides the Red Sea and brings them into a land of blessing filled with milk and honey and joy as we have it in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the fulfillment of life. I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly, abundant life, not self-seeking, selfish, introverted, fearful, but courageous and bold and proclaiming Christ as he is, as he's always been, so that we can live a holy life. He did, we're identified with him. And now we're friends with him, back to a person. It's not just about a teaching. It's, it's not just about uh, a doctrine. It's about a person. He calls us friends. He makes his will known to us, and we live in that will of God in joy for being obedient to the God who gave us life. God gives us life as a race, the human race. And we denied and walk away from the person without whom we wouldn't be able to think, walk, act, love, hate, which is good when it's sin that we hate. Love one another, walk in unity with others whom God has created in joy and peace in appreciation for God having given us life. Sinful men do not appreciate a God they don't know or do not want to know. The religious leaders hunted Jesus down because they wanted power, they wanted money, they wanted their lusts, and they wanted sin, and they were the most religious people ever. Religion itself cannot save anyone. Only Jesus Christ can save a person, a sinner destined for eternal punishment. Which brings us to verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider. Account it. 
It's, it's done. You see, identification is a one-time act of God. It's divine. It's something that God does. Now, Paul, at the end of this, where he's focusing our attention on Jesus Christ, what he accomplished, what he did, now he's going to move into the sanctification process, not justification or an act of God in a courtroom where everything was laid on Christ. He paid the eternal price. He went before the Father, and the Father looked on him as though he were sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. That took place in the courtroom on a cross, God in heaven, Father coming down, seeing Jesus, and then looking on Jesus as though he were sin for us, to make him a bride. A bride that would live with him in eternity. People look, ah, what kind of a mean God, Father, is this that he would punish his sin? This is child abuse, the crazy things that people come up with. We're talking about three hours of suffering on the cross in an eternal way because God is an eternal God and he's paying an eternal price for sin. I can't explain any of that. I only know that sin is punishment of sin is forever. Men are put into the lake of fire where the tongue, the fire never dies. It's forever and ever. That's where they will be forever and ever. You want to flee. You want to flee from that day of judgment and you want to flee from the fire of God's wrath that is to come. And men will always live in eternal judgment because we are all wicked in our hearts and we will not repent apart from the grace of God. That's, that's the whole point. God does something in us that we cannot do for ourselves, which is really everything. We can't breathe. We can't keep our heart beating. We can't think. We can't do anything. We can't move from here to there, as, as Paul stated on, on Mars Hill in, in, in uh, Greece. You know, even your poets have said, you know, in him... That's the eternal God. We live and move and have our being. I mean, it's, it's just it's something that you have to understand if you understand that there has to be a first cause of all things, which is the eternal God outside of time. We are not eternal. We are, we have a birthday. And so this is so important to view and focus first on Jesus Christ, and then even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is an act of faith on our part, a faith that we believe is given to us by God, a faith that is activated in us by God. And at the same time, there is this necessity on our part to participate in the salvation experience after it's been given to us. We love God because he first loved us. He's the first. He's always the first. He has to be because he wasn't created. We are. It's the only thing that makes sense. Now that he has created something new in us, a new heart, from which proceeds a, a real, living, and authentic faith, that faith we need to enter in, we need to, we need to be active in exercising it. He gives us the muscle. You know, we move the arm. He gives us the power to move the arm. But we're moving the arm. There's this now c- contractual agreement between us and God, in which he says, here, I've given you life, live it. Live it to the full. 
I've given you muscles, exercise them. I've given you faith. Place that faith in this person of Jesus Christ. Exercise that faith in believing in him. Even so, consider. Even so, place your faith, yourselves, too dead to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That in, that preposition, is the key to the whole thing. That's identification. That's being identified with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that identification, see, it's no longer us. It's not the weight on our shoulders. It's the weight that he carries because he accomplished that work for us. And so we place our faith in him. And thus he says in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Weary because of sin. Heavy laden because of the, the bondage, the, the, the reigning of sin to death, the tyranny of sin in our hearts and in our minds. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest is such a good thing. I mean, when you've worked for 18 hours and on hard labor, and you're using a shovel and you're pushing concrete and you're just doing everything you can until every muscle in your body is aching and in pain and you're sore and you're exhausted and you keep, can't keep your eyes open. I mean, just laying down your head on the pillow, you know. How good that feels. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I mean, if this isn't a picture of identification, he, he lived the life. He, he, he died the death. He, he died sacrificially so that we could learn from him. Uh, for I am gentle and humble in heart. He's not proud. He's not like, oh, I'm the son, and I can do what I want, and I, I don't really care what the father says. Just the opposite. Twelve years old, he's a man. He's, he's in a human body, and the parents have to go looking for him, and he's in the temple. He's God. His, his hormones are kicking in place. He's becoming a man, humanly speaking. And, son, you never treated us this way. That's right. Never, ever in the 12 years did he ever treat Mary or Joseph that way. No rebellion, no sinful attitudes, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. None of that. None of that. Well, I had to do this. this I have to be in my father's house. Your father's house. Yeah, my heavenly father. My, my heavenly father's house. I have to be here. This is to fulfill what he desired. So I'm in his house and I'm contending with the religious leaders. You know, there's, an, there's another 20, there's another 18 years to go and he's going to really contend for three years with the religious leaders, but it's kicking in now and he had to go there. So then he goes back with Mary and Joseph and he submits to them until he's 30 years old. He becomes a man. He is a man. He's man of man, you know, but he was humble. And so he says to us, I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What makes it his yoke easy and his burden light? What? What's that? Because he's given it to us. We're not doing it. We're not creating. We can't create holiness. 
We can't manufacture holiness. We can't manufacture goodness as a sinner. It's manufactured by him, and so for all eternity, people will begin praise and honor and glory to God. Why? Because they're living out a holy and righteous life, humbly submitting to the whatever it is that God desires us to do and be for all eternity. And I can't even, we can't imagine what that is. A universe emptied, void of darkness, an emptiness, a universe filled with light. Just, just a picture of that. You don't look out into space and see nothing. You look and you see everything. And that's the, the new heavens and the new earth that's being created, will be created for all those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for all, which they will live out for all eternity. And that, that burden, that yoke is easy and that burden is light because it's his. He's carrying it. He's performing it. He's manufacturing and will manufacture it from millisecond to millisecond in us for all eternity. And we'll be giving him the honor and the praise and the glory rather than saying, I'm God, I'm God. I have a false God and I made it in my own image and I am God. Yet, no, that's, that's living a lie. That's living a deception. No, no, all the false religions, one way or another, very subtle as they are, that's what they teach. They teach that I am God. We are God. You know, look at the Mormons. I mean, they, they, really, they literally say it. You know, we're, we're all going to be gods. And we're going to have our own planet and our own place. Yeah, no, not so much. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to, dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, in verse 12, we'll take up next time, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. This is where he's going to kick into. Therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? We've just all considered it in this episode. Therefore, do not let sin reign. Do not let sin reign. This is to the Christian. This is to the born again, regenerate believer who has been given a new heart and he's living under the covenant of grace which means that Christ accomplished all of this for the purpose of working it out in our life. What we think about, how we think, the attitudes we project, the motivations that cause us to do what we do, all of that, all of that is, a, is an exercise for us to not let sin reign there, but what? To allow Christ to reign there. That's the key. That's the key. May we continue to live our lives in that manner. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this outstanding truth that Paul, you inspired by you, Paul wrote in Romans in proclaiming your, uh, your taking on in, in a very tangible way, in a, in a way that we can live it out from day to day, that you identified with us so that we might identify with you, so that we might have our burdens lifted, we might not carry this yoke, we might carry your yoke, because it's easy. It's easy to carry your yoke because you're, you're doing most of the carrying. You're doing all the carrying. You know, we, we carry it in a manner that it's yours and it's not ours. Lord, make this truth 
real in our lives. What, what we're asking for today, Lord, is just to help our part in what we have to do in exercising the faith that you have given to us. That real and living faith, that faith that is something we can't manufacture. Help us, O oh God, to see Jesus. Help us to see the love of Christ in going to a cross and as a righteous, perfectly righteous man who is the living God to take our sins on himself so that he might carry our burdens, that he might make us joyful. Lord, I thank you. We thank you. All, all of us, Lord, who hear this message, who are born again, who have come into that personal, intimate relationship with the living God so that his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Oh, Lord, take this word and make it what it is meant to be in our hearts and in our minds. Allow us, O oh Lord, to give you the praise and the honor and the glory, not just with our lips, not just with our lips, but with our, our manner of life, with the way we live out our lives, how we treat one another, how we live in the church, how we project our lives to the lost, so they may become jealous for what we have and they might come to know Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask all these things, not for us, but for your honor and your glory and your pleasure because you are the eternal life. You're the one who deserves it all. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.